Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Tonight on Huckabee, Texas Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne. Bull riding champion Josh Frost, an airborne Hucks hero, and the soulful sounds of Todd Tillman. That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everybody. We're so glad to have you. And you know what? This is Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. That is when millions of people around the globe will tune in to watch Taylor Swift cheer her boyfriend. And some will actually watch a football game surrounded by commercials for beer, cars, and Doritos. I mean, the Super Bowl is filled with traditions, including what is usually a long and often strange halftime show by a trendy young artist whose performance sometimes teeters between over-the-top staging and vulgar gyrations that are most often viewed in seedy dark dives involving poles and piles of dollar bills. (laughs) And one of the traditions of the Super Bowl is an interview with the sitting president, which I, I, I suppose is a great opportunity for some politician to speak to 200 million people around the world on a day when most all of those folks would rather hear a bluegrass opera than the (laughs) rattlings of a politician. But this year, the sitting president, or maybe better to say the shuffling president, Joe Biden, (laughs) is going to skip the interview. Now, it is understandable since halftime will be several hours past his bedtime. (laughs) But his staff are probably concerned that he'll forget the name of the country that he leads or he'll spend all his time sniffing the hair of the female interviewer. (laughs) Rough room out here. (laughs) This week alone, he had some moments that caused even CNN and MSNBC commentators to worry out loud about his fitness. I mean, not just to lead the nation, but to complete a sentence. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me and said, uh, said, you know, what, why, how, how long are you back for? <laughs> there is some movement, and I don't want to, I don't want to. Come on, Joe. Come on. Let me choose my words. You can do it. There's some movement. Yep. There's been a response uh-huh. from the, uh, no. Come on. The, the, there's been a response. That's it. From from who? The opposition. Opposition. Who? But um, Hamas. It, it, Something. Yes, mean. I'm sorry. 
from Hamas. Hamas, there you go. But it seems to be uh, a little over the top. We're not sure where it is. There's a mm. continuing negotiation right now. Oh, wow. But the most disturbing moment of this week was Biden's Thursday night press conference of sorts, where he shuffled to the podium to declare that he had been exonerated of holding on to classified documents and keeping them recklessly open in his garage for years. Documents that, as a senator, even a vice president, he was not entitled to have, much less keep. He boasted that he had been cleared after a long investigation, and he pointed fingers at Donald Trump whose home was raided by FBI agents under the orders of Biden Attorney General Merrick Garland. Trump is being criminally charged for storing documents that, as president, he did have the authority not only to have, but to declassify. In his bizarre statement Thursday night, Joe Biden spoke of the president of Egypt as the president of Mexico. And then after a testy exchange with reporters who yelled at and argued with he just abruptly left the room. But the truth is, he wasn't exonerated by the federal prosecutor. The prosecutor actually outlined that Biden had in fact held many documents illegally, and he could be prosecuted. But the prosecutor said that a jury would see him, I'm not making this up, I'm going to quote, as an elderly man whose forgetfulness was so profound that he couldn't remember when he was vice president. Many American people have been watching and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they, your judgment. They, that is your judgment. To public that is not the judgment concerns. of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? Why, what is your answer to that question? I'm the most qualified person in this country to be President of the United States and finish the job I started. And there you have it, most qualified person in this country to be president. But let me just say, this week has not just been about gaffes in the gridiron. The Senate pretended to put forth what was called a border bill, but it wasn't. It was a $120 billion grab bag, over half of which was funding for the war in Ukraine. The border part was a lesser part of the 370-page bill that would supposedly limit illegal immigration to about 5,000 people a day down from the sometimes 10 to 12,000 a day that we got now. Former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson, who actually served rather admirably under Barack Obama, has said that more than 1,000 illegal crossings a day constitute a crisis. So it was kind of shocking when Republican Oklahoma Senator James Lankford joined with Chuck Schumer to push a bill that would still allow 1.8 million illegal immigrants a year into the country and seemed highly offended that the rest of the Senate and the House said no in the biggest, fattest way possible. So how many illegal immigrants should we let in? Well, if we're talking illegal immigrants, shouldn't the answer be zero? Isn't that what it should be? That's what the law says. But since Joe Biden took office, he opened the doors and said, y'all come. He reversed every single policy that was working under Donald Trump. And then this week, he actually said that the reason we have the problem we're having is because of, you guessed it, Donald Trump. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends.
Okay, so there you have it. The man who hasn't been president in three years, he's the one who is at fault for the policies of the man who has been president for the past three years. Got that all figured out? Well, I'm glad Joe won't be doing an interview during halftime at the Super Bowl because we're going to likely see enough fumbles, dropped passes, sacks, and unnecessary roughness in the game without having to endure watching the President of the United States stumble through a similar cringeworthy performance. Many of us would honestly rather see a tawdry halftime show or even cutaways of Taylor Swift than watch Joe Biden blame all his problems on a man that he's trying to prosecute out of being his opponent in this year's election, all the time thinking that he's really being interviewed by the late Walter Cronkite. (laughs) So I say, blow the whistle, toss the coin, and on to the kickoff. We are so glad you could join us, and we have a lot planned for you this evening. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, why don't you let these fine folks know what to expect tonight? And I know it's good. Well, coming up next, the debacle on the border with Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne. And saddle up, rodeo champion Josh Frost puts on a roping clinic. It's just ahead on Huckabee. and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on X. And welcome back. We lost one of the greatest talents in music this week. Uh, Toby Keith passed away uh, having battled stomach cancer at the age of 62. It's a great loss to the music world. And really to, uh, to this country, he was one of the most prolific songwriters and gifted songwriters in the country. My privilege to interview him several years ago when I was hosting a show at the Fox News Channel, got to play music with Toby, prince of a guy, amazingly talented, and our hearts break for his loss. You may have noticed that our band was playing Should Have Been a Cowboy, one of Toby Keith's great songs uh, as we came back in from the break. Speaking of music... It just doesn't get any better than the music we've got right here, led by Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Give them a nice hand, please. Well, our next guest is serving her second term in the United States Congress. She's a Republican representing the 24th District of Texas. She's a member of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee. Would you please welcome Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne. Great to see you, Congresswoman. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this week, the border bill crashed and burned, uh, didn't really even get through the Senate. You, you guys in the House had said if it gets over here, it's dead anyway. Dead on arrival. Yeah. Yeah. Why? What, what was it? Because I think a lot of us looked at this and said, this is, this is insane. Why would we say lead? 1.8 million is fine. Well, I mean, that's exactly right. They were trying to normalize the numbers. You know, during the Trump administration, when they actually had control of the border, if they had a 1,000 or more um, people coming in over the border illegally, that was considered a crisis. Yeah. What this bill wanted to do was put 5000 a day over a week period or up to $8,500 in a day, 8,500 people in a day. Yeah. 
They wanted to normalize the numbers that we see now, and every month it's gotten higher and higher. On top of that, they also wanted to add work permits to people mm. who were already here illegally. As if we're not giving away enough of our country, they were going to add that on top of it. We had already passed over a bill, our Secure Border Act of 2023. They had had that H.R. 2 since May, and the Senate was sitting on that, and the, the president already threatened that he wasn't gonna, going to sign it. Now, there's the obvious situation where Joe Biden and the Republic, I mean, where the Democrats will blame Republicans yeah. for not getting anything done. And that's so disingenuous. Well, it's got to be difficult right? to you. You're a Texan. Yeah. You live in Texas where the brunt of this has happened. We're seeing it. We're seeing it in all of our communities. I have law enforcement roundtables. I talk to our sheriffs. I talk to our chiefs of police, and they will tell you exactly how much crime is going up, how they're seeing increases in fentanyl poisonings and fentanyl deaths, sex trafficking, um, child trafficking. It's, it is horrific, and it's happening in communities all across the country. And Congresswoman, I think your governor uh, is to be commended because yes. he, he finally had enough of it yeah. and said, you know, we've got a lot of these uh, blue states blue city mayors who are boasting their sanctuary cities. Yeah. And he said, oh, well, great. I'll send you some. And he sent some. Way less than he's dealing with in Texas. And they're overwhelmed. Chicago, Washington, New York, they can't handle it. Yeah, but what they're asking for is not for a change in policy. What they're asking for is more money. Yeah. And they're actually welcoming. And, and you know, when people look at what the long-term ramifications are, like people keep asking, why are they doing this? Yeah. One, I think they want to re, Democrats want to reimagine America. Long-term, they're looking at the 10 million people who've already kind of entered our country illegally over the last three years as potential voters. But short term, you know, just go as far as, as California. Yvette Clark, a Democrat congresswoman, was talking about how many people are exiting their state. They're going to places like Texas. They're going to places like Florida. Do the math. They need more people in their district to be able to keep their seats. Mm -hmm. So the 10 million people that have come over already represent 14 new congressional districts. 14? 14. It's about 700,000 people that we each, that we each represent. So when you do the math on the 10 million, it's about 14 new seats. Where are they going to go? California. They're going to go to New York. They're going to go to Illinois to make up the difference of the people who are leaving. This is all about Democrats maintaining those congressional seats and maintaining control. And they don't care the fact that we've had 100,000 people who have been killed by fentanyl. They don't care about the moms and the, and the families that are being killed by DUI drivers who should never be in this country. The murders, the rapes, the, the child trafficking, the sex trafficking. They don't care about that. It is all about control. I think a lot of people don't realize that while voting is restricted to citizens, congressional districts are determined by the number of Population. people living there. Yep. So it doesn't matter, even if they don't get to vote. I know the Democrats would love for them all to vote for them. But what you just said is the, the secret sauce that a lot of Americans may not realize. If they can pack a bunch of people, even if they're illegal, because they're living there, yep. that does affect the number of people in Congress from that state. We have a two-member majority right now in the House. You add 14 Democrat seats you'll never get control of the House again. Mm -hmm. So in the short term, long term, I believe that that is really why they're doing it. You know, what a... I, it's almost beyond, to me, cynicism that people would care less about their country, the safety of their yes. citizens, the exploitation of children who are turned into sex slaves at 85,000 minors have come into, the, into our country. 85,000. And we have absolutely no idea where they've gone. 85,000 children. Yep. See, that, that, that ought to wake everybody up. I'm not sure it will, but it ought to. 
Because these aren't kids that came looking for their parents, looking for their uncle, their aunt, their relatives. They came because somebody was able to exploit them, get paid to bring them across the border. We have no idea what's happening to them. And a lot of times they are brought across the border, but then they're brought back because they're basically used to get single uh, military-aged men over by claiming that they're part of a family, so they'll be released into the country. Do you see this election year turning into anything other than a total, just chaotic mess? You know, I look at states like Texas and like Georgia that have really taken um, election integrity to heart and have passed very strong bills that make it easier to vote but harder to cheat. Those states give me hope that we will be able to have a lot more control over what we saw back in 2020. Um, But I think you're going to see a lot. You're going to see record numbers of people go out and vote. And and do you think that even some of the Democrats that you serve with see how Joe Biden is? And, you know, I I make light of it sometimes, but it's a very serious issue, in, in fact, that his cognitive decline is so intense. Do any of them ever in a moment of honesty, say, we're in trouble here. Yeah, some of them, like Dean Phillip. You know, he's running for president. Yeah. And what happens? He gets demonized. Yeah, he does. They, they, they tend to stick together. And, and no one who watched those press conferences can say that we're not watching a weekend in Bernie's presidency. Yeah. You know, weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is the presidency yeah. that we're seeing right now. Weekend at Biden's is kind of what we're oh. now dealing with. Isn't it? Yeah. And, 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 and it could be funny, except that, one, it's elder abuse. Yeah. But two, this man is on the world stage. The rest of the, the, the world is watching as we have a vulnerable, um, elderly, but beyond that, incapable individual. He can't even stand trial. And by the way, that was decided by his own Department of Justice. Yeah. That they decided that he was incapable of standing trial. And yet he has nuclear codes. He is our commander in chief at a time when we are literally on a precipice of a number of wars. That is the ultimate irony, I think, in yeah. all of what happened over the course of this week with the announcement of the prosecutor. Um, we're going to be in an intense election year. And uh, Donald Trump seems to have locked up the Republican nomination, could be a repeat. People will talk about the age of the candidates. I want to be very clear. I don't think it's the age. It's it's whether they can handle it. Chuck Grassley, who's in his 90s, yeah. still serving in the Senate from Iowa, is about as sharp as anybody it's I know. It's a mental capacity. Uh, totally. Yeah. So and, and, and Biden does not have it. Yeah. So it's not how old a person is. Right. It's are they able to function with full competency? I agree, I agree with that 100%. And, and when you talk to, to Trump, yeah. he can go off the cue cards. Yeah. For hours. And we've both seen yeah. it, right? Oh. He can go oh. off for hours. Yeah. And he doesn't need them because he knows what he wants to say and he wants to communicate. It seems like Biden, as soon as he's not reading something, and even then he will screw up, yeah. he has no idea where his mind's going. Congresswoman, it is a delight and pleasure to have you here. Thank you. And I want to let all of our audience know that Congresswoman Dine is an outspoken person on lots of other issues that protect our freedoms as Americans. So do yourself a favor and go to Huckabee.tv and follow our links to her website and to her office in the House Ways and Means Committee. You can keep up with the work that she's doing in Washington, and you probably should. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, if our Texas viewers like this segment, you know, I'm pretty sure they're going to like what we have coming up next. Why don't you let them in on it? Well, I reckon they are, Governor. Saddle up, amigos. We're going to learn the rope.
And the man himself, Josh Frost, is going to show us how. Yee-haw! My next guest was practically born on the back of a bull. His family were legendary pioneers in the sport of professional rodeo. This guy was competing at the age of eight, and by high school, he was a state champion bull rider. He's a four-time Linderman Award winner and a national finals rodeo qualifier with over one and a half million dollars in career earnings. That's just so far. And I'm also proud to say that my wife, Janet, and I are among his sponsors and proudly support him and his wife, Erica. Now, if I started listing all his awards and the titles that he has earned, it would take up the rest of the show. So let me just say this. Would you please welcome one of the world's top professional rodeo cowboys, Josh Frost. Welcome, Josh. Glad to be here. It's a real honor to have you here. People hear bull riding and the last name Frost, and they immediately ask the question, are you related to the very famous Lane Frost, who was the subject of the film Eight Seconds? Uh, yes, I am. It's a very common question. I've been, you know, hearing from the time I've been in the industry or started competing, and uh, he's my he's my second cousin. So my grandpa and Lane's dad were brothers. So. And your whole family is like rodeo, right? Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a family ordeal with us. From you know, goes back multi generational from my. Um, grandpa and great uncle, which was Lane's dad, he actually competed at the first NFR in the 50s and um, he just kind of grew up in it. So as a kid, that's all I've ever wanted to do was be a bull rider. See, Josh, I thought maybe your parents just didn't like you and they said, okay, kid, you're going to get on a bull. We're going we're gonna to put you on there. But, but it was really that they loved you and they wanted you to experience this, not just the, the events, but I think a lot of people don't understand. There is a cowboy lifestyle. There's a culture. And it is very positive and pro-American and family-focused. Yeah, it's, uh, in my opinion, the most amazing sport in the world, just from the, the atmosphere and the friendship. And I mean, it's the only professional sport in the world where you'll see the other competitors cheering for each other. Yeah. I mean, we're, at the end of the day, especially in the bull ride, and like, I'm competing against the bull, and so I can't control what everybody else does, but, you know the guy that I'm competing against to win a world title will get off his bull and then come over there and help me get on my bull, pull my rope. And um, that's just with the competitors alone. And then from the family side, it's uh, it's a uh, way more than just a sport and a job. It's a lifestyle. I mean, we, it long history of Western heritage from, you know, I come from a ranching family. So like all these things you see us doing in the arena, like they go back to the history of the Western lifestyle, the Western industry, agriculture, and, um, I live that life daily from running cows and putting up hay. And it's uh, so I'm pretty blessed that I get to spend my time in the arena showing the world, you know, my life. And, what. and it's a wonderful life. My wife and I go to the National Finals Rodeo in Vegas every year. Been doing it for many years. I've never seen anything that is more pro-American, pro-God. They do an invocation and it's a real prayer. 
Now, if I ever got on a bull, somebody better be praying. I'll tell you that right now. When you first got on a bull, were you scared out of your mind? I, I was, uh, which it's, I, I was blessed because wanting to do it, you know, and coming from a family that knew how to do it growing yeah. up on a ranch, like I, I started when I was five years old. So I didn't start out on a bull. I started out on a little Holstein dairy calf that trotted across the arena. <laughs> but for a five-year-old kid, I mean, I was very, a lot of fear at the time, but every time you moved up a level, it was scary. You yeah. start with a calf and then you get a bigger calf and then pretty quick I was riding the rope steer that all of a sudden the thing I was riding had horns and it's like, holy cow, he's got horns. And then, <laughs> and then by the time I was 15, 16 years old, I'm riding, you know, 2000 pound bulls and every level jump dang sure <laughs> makes you, makes you question if you want to be a bull rider or not. And Josh, you know, I, I've never met a cowboy that didn't get hurt. I mean, it's part of the thing, even more so people don't realize how athletic you have to be to do this. What kind of injuries have you had? in this? Uh, I've, I've had a couple. Um, broken legs, uh, knee surgery twice, wrist surgery. Um, worst I've ever had. I had a bull just stepped on my stomach one oh. time and they ended up having to take out my spleen, part of my pancreas. And, and you still do it? <laughs> yeah, it, that was, Pete, that, I you're get a that question man. a lot. I'm gonna, you're a sick man. I, your wife must be the most patient person in the world. Your wife is delightful, Erica, and we wish she could have been here with you. Uh, but, but to that point, there's something that drives you that makes you still want to get out there and compete. There must be a joy in lasting eight seconds and then surviving to tell everybody, I did it. Yeah, the, the surviving is always a positive part, but uh, it's, <laughs> you know, I'm, I feel like not, it's, there's not very many people in the world that truly love what they do and find their true passion. And for me, that's bull riding. And so even with the injuries, like there's no greater feeling in the world of, you know, making dominating, coming over the fear and the adrenaline to go out and stay mentally clear to make the whistle on the back of a bull. And whether you're doing it in competition or the practice pen, that feeling of staying on for eight seconds is uncomparable. To you're you're unique too in that you not only bull ride, but you do rope, uh, steer wrestling. And uh, Josh promised me tonight a lesson in rodeo roping. But there's someone else who wanted to do that tonight as well. And our musical guest is both a minister and he's the winner of season 18 of NBC's The Voice. His new single is called PB&J. He's going to be performing it later on the show. But right now, we're going to rope him out here for a little rodeo lesson. Would you welcome back for his fourth appearance on our show, one of our favorite performers, Todd Tillman, who will join Josh and me with a little rope lesson. Let's go see what we can do. Are you ready for this, Todd? I'm ready as I'm going to ever be. I All guess. right. Well, we're going to let you be the first one he's going to teach because I have no I'll idea. I'll take it. Right Listen, man, I have 100 kids at my house. This is going to come in handy. <laughs> All right. It looks like a serious piece of rope there. I don't, even, I don't know what you end to hold. I don't either. <laughs> Seriously. Like I used to watch Roy Rogers I did not know what. <laughs> How's this? A little bigger. A little bigger. Okay. It's like catching a bear in the forest. The bigger your trap, the more oh, likely to yeah. step in. Oh, I got you. Okay. Hold this part there. Yep. And that part there. All, All right. right. Who wants to go first? Uh, Todd does. All right. He was begging. There, Todd. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're, you got to swing your rope to get some power. And so you'll try to bring it over your. Oh. <laughs> like, not like that. Better stick to music, Todd. Swing I think. It. Uh... Yep. Just kind of give you a little bit more loop. There you go. All right. And All right. You'll. 
try to swing it over your head. There you go. And then. Yep, and then it's then similar to throwing a baseball right to your target. Are you ready? Yep, right. Okay. Is that too big? No, that's perfect. I don't think this is really working. Don't right? get me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey! Close, but no cigar. But I did hit the. I hit the horns. You better, you better, you better try again. All right. <laughs> Show us how it's done, Josh, because obviously it's going to take more than one lesson for us. So we're going to throw the rope down. You show us what the, how, how you would do it. Hey. All right. <laughs> That's why he's the cowboy and we are not. That's right, yeah. By the way, I want people to see, you've got a little... Uh, on your shirt here, does anyone, can you see this down here on the corner of his shirt? And I think it's kind of cool because when he's out there riding, we remember to pray for Josh because he's quite a guy. Josh, it is such an honor to have you. Uh, look forward to watching you. We've always enjoyed watching you in the, in the ring. Our hearts are in our throats when we see you out there. If you want to learn more about Josh Frost's amazing career, his rodeo career, and to find out how to be a part of his fan club, social media pages, and he has educational programs on the art of bull riding. Keith has already signed up. So all you got to do, if you go to Huckabee.tv, we will connect you to all the things that are going on with Josh Frost. Also, you're going to find links to Todd Tillman and his new music video for PB&J. Todd's going to be back to perform for us later in the show, but right now, our resident expert in throwing some bull, Keith Bilberry, will tell you what's coming up next. Keith. Well, your problem was you didn't have your hat on. Governor, I'm pretty sure this qualifies as hazardous pay. Up next, Huck's hero, Daryl Fisher, takes veterans for a once-in-a-lifetime joyride. It's just around the bend. Don't go away. Well, quite appropriate that we would be doing the music Wooly Bully here as we come back in from the break. All of us here strongly believe in honoring America's veterans, and that's why this week's Huck's Hero was a really easy choice. Watch. Fisher is the president, founder, and pilot behind his organization, Dream Flights. Born into a family of aviators, Fisher's connection to the skies was almost inevitable. However, an unexpected twist came when he found a way to merge his love for flying with a deep sense of purpose. In 2011, Fisher agreed to assist his father in flying his historical biplane from Mississippi to Oregon. It was during this cross-country journey that an unexpected idea took flight. The trip required 15 stops to refuel. They decided while on the ground, they would ask local veterans and seniors if they wanted to go for a joyride. The response to that spontaneous idea was nothing short of magic. 
the joy on the faces of veterans and seniors experiencing the freedom of flight inspired Fisher and his wife to embark on a new mission. And so Dream Flights was born, a nonprofit foundation with a unique mission, utilizing four 1940s Boeing Stearman airplanes and offering flights free of charge. Dream Flights have provided over 6,000 flights, symbolizing thousands of moments of joy while honoring the heroes of our past, one flight at a time. That is so cool. I want you to welcome the founder and president of Dream Flights, Daryl Fisher. What a thrill to watch this. And I can't imagine what these veterans of our country think when you put them in the airplane. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. That's all I can say, because these heroes, what they've given us is amazing. And I've, I've heard the stories of the POW camps yeah. and the being shot down. It's just what they've done for us is so amazing. And I get to spend time with them and I get to give them this little gift, you know, at a time in their life when they really need it. When you first started this, did you have any idea 6,000 flights later, you'd still be giving people the dream of their life? I had no idea. However, after the first two flights, my dad and I looked at each other in the hotel room and we said, this is magic. Mm. How does a person get to be a part of a dream flight? What are the criteria? We honor veterans, senior veterans that yeah. live in nursing homes, assisted living centers and retirement centers. Mm. That's our focus, Governor, because they've done so much for us. And now they're at a point in their life when not much is working right. Yeah. And they need a boost. And to come out to the airport, they think their flying days are over. Yeah. And so uh, they come out to the airport. They, they're you know, on a field trip, basically. They see the biplane. They think they can't get in it. And then we get them in it and we, we leave the ground, and that's when the magic happens. Are there families sometimes saying, you better bring him back? There's yeah. a lot of nervous wives, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and I have to go to them and promise, listen, I'm the most important person in this airplane, so we're gonna come back, and we're gonna be just fine. But I mean, the biplane, that's, got, that's a different experience when you're out there exposed yeah. to the world and the wind. Uh, it must be a rush, but some of these guys, that's what they flew when they were flying wartime. It is. I flew Rocky Gannon in Darlington, South Carolina, and Rocky flew B-17s in World War II. Hmm. He hadn't been back in a steerman for 60 years. And the funny thing is, he literally was flying missions, fighting for our freedoms, and did not even have a pilot's or a driver's license. No, he was 19 no. years old, 20 years old. He's a captain on a yeah. B-17, does not have a driver's license. I, I don't think we really appreciate how young so many of the World War II veterans were when they were serving. Some of them even lied about their age. Went when they were 17, 16. 15. And yet they were commanding airplanes and taking on combat when they were 19, 20 years old. Yeah. It's unbelievable what they've done for us. You know, when, when we talk about the greatest generation, I mean, I, I say it all the time. They really were. They saved this world. They saved this world they did. And we should never, never. underappreciate what these folks did. Never. Wow. Now, the plane you fly itself is 80 years old. It is. I mean, how do you maintain an 80-year-old airplane 
and feel good about it. Well, people looked at me when we started this and said, so you think it's a good idea to put 80-year-old people in an 80-year-old airplane and go flying? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I actually do. Um, here's the reality of it. The Stearman was built to train our pilots in World War II. Mm. It trained 90% of the pilots that flew and fought for us in World War II. So imagine this airplane was the first airplane that pilots got into. Yeah. They're 19 years old. Their testosterone is like way up here. It's a tough airplane. Yeah. And people don't understand that it went on after the war and it was a crop sprayer. Yeah. So it fought for America. It fed America through the mid eighties. It's a tough airplane. There's a lot of parts available and we have a lot of loving people that take very good care of the airplanes. Daryl, we got about 30 seconds left. In that time, I want you to tell me a memory, someone you took up, what they said to you that just really got to your heart. Well, Eddie Lampkin, his son wheeled him up hmm. it to, the, to the airplane, didn't think he would even be able to get in. I got Eddie in. Eddie got out, his son brought the wheelchair over, and he says, I don't need that anymore. Five years his dad lived five more years, never used a wheelchair again. Wow. That's why we do it. Wow. What a story. Well, I, I was hoping you'd have a good one. That's a great <laughs> one. Hey, if you want to learn how you can help support dream flights, and after that, how would you not want to help these guys? Or if you are a senior veteran who would like to apply to go to a flight, why don't you go to Huckabee.tv right now? We'll connect you with Dream Flights, maybe make your wish come true. But if you can contribute, you'll make some of these veterans' dreams come true. Now that this show has taken flight, it clearly has, Keith Bilbrey is standing by. He's going to tell you where we're going to be landing next. Well, what a cool mission, Governor. After the break, Dick Hardwick is going to come out and give everybody the giggles. I sure hope he has a license to do that. Don't go away. You're watching Huckabee. and get 20% off on all apparel through February 15th. Proudly made in the USA. Welcome back. Tonight's comedian has performed from Las Vegas to Disneyland to the Grand Ole Opry, and this is his second appearance on our show. He was a comedy champion on Star Search, He's worked with stars like Reba McIntyre and Kenny Chesney, and he's done two around-the-world tours for the U.S. Air Force Reserve with Lee Greenwood. Please welcome back the very funny Dick Hardwick. So good to see everybody tonight. I just flew in from California, where you can tell the rich people they got two Teslas jacked up in their front yard. But I've been on the show a couple of times, and... Mike allowed me to come and do my little drum routine. We want to see my little drum routine that I'm going to do here? Huh? Can you give me a drum, give me a drum roll? I'll get back to my... 
Give him a nice round of applause back there, yeah. I'll tell you, when I was a kid, you know, I, I researched the drums, and I found out in New York, they called the drums the traps. And in Chicago, they called them the tubs. And when I was a kid at home, they called them, you're not going to rehearse now, are you? <laughs> but I loved taking uh, lessons from different drummers throughout. My favorite was a guy named Gene Krupa. Anybody remember Gene Krupa? Gene Krupa would play on the tom-toms, set up a little rhythm, something like this. Then a guy came along named Shelly Mann. He did a little thing called Let There Be Drums on two tom-toms sounded like this. Then who could forget the great Buddy Rich? But you know something, Mike? The drummer that's made more money than any drummer that ever lived was Ringo Starr. And all he had to play to make all that money was this. It ain't fair! You see, the drums are only invented to send messages from one group of people to the other and march an army into war. Well, my great, great, great distant relative was with General George Washington heading up to the Potomac. As soon as they made a campfire, they heard off in the distance. George Washington stood up and said, I don't like the sound of those drums. A voice came from the forest. He's not a regular drummer. <laughs> well, the high school band finally inherited the drums. It never ceased to amaze me how the high school band's drum section would take every song they play and overpower it. You know, my high school band would march down the street in my hometown of Greencastle, Indiana, on Easter Sunday playing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound of See, it just wasn't working, just wasn't working. But I really wanted to learn how to play the drums. So I went to a drum teacher. He taught me how to play some drum rudiments, like the paradiddle. That's a right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. Double paradiddle. The Rademacue. The triple Rademacue. The long roll closed down and slowly opened up.
Then he told me to practice. Did you talk about Ringo being the richest drummer of all? Because many of us grew up with the Beatles. Hey, if you want to see more of the hilarious Dick Hardwick or to book him for your venue, just make sure he's got a drum set. He can come to your venue, church, company. Go to Huckabee.tv. We're going to hook you up, and you will have a wonderful time with Dick Hardwick. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is over here wishing he had some drumsticks because he wants to tell us what he's drumming up next for this show. Keith? Uh, I'll be honest. Sorry, Governor. I couldn't drum my way out of a paper bag. The Music City Connection sure can, and they're part of a special performance with Todd Tillman, so don't go away. Todd Tillman's new music video for PB&J premieres tonight, and we've got it for you on our website. So go to Huckabee.tv, follow the links. Now, performing PB&J with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection and Mike on bass, here's Todd Tillman. Trust me, they are running in circles out there in the yard Like it just goes in one ear and right out the other While they're being a pain, talking back to their mother Just keep planting those seeds and water them well It's gonna take time but time's gonna tell when they grow up believing everything you said was true. You can do anything you want to do. Be president, maybe fly to the moon. You can be a doctor, a lawyer, a 
Don't let no 